what's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning into another episode of the Live Free Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. This is going to be a quick intro today. Uh, my homie Primo is on his way over right now. We're going to go um, up to Shoy Roll and hang out and maybe roll a little bit. Uh, today's guest is Mr. Adam Hunter Caldwell. He joins us via Skype from his studio in Oakland. We talk snotty stashes, writing, narratives, process, uh, Bob Ross, and his mentor, um, Bill Alexander, sexuality, Erskine Caldwell, uh, that's Adam's grandfather who wrote the book Tobacco Road, which uh, spawned a bunch of, was the sort of inspiration for a bunch of other things. Um, we talked the South, Destruction, Baron Story, Playwrights, and Banksy. So, as always, make sure you go check out MikeMaxwellArt.com. Click on the podcast, you'll get all the uh, website information over there. Subscribe and download the show on iTunes or on Stitcher, on the Stitcher app for your phone. Uh, You can get all that stuff. Make sure you go follow Producer Lex at Producer Lex on Twitter and on the Facebooks. Um, And you can follow me at Mike Maxwell Art on everything. So, let's just jump right into this thing. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Adam Hunter Caldwell. Well, producer Lex, we're well, back. Yep, another episode of the Live Free podcast. I think we're at one seventeen, maybe. Yeah, it's a fuckload of episodes, dude. Man. Yeah, it is, man. Jesus Christ. Um, so what's been going on with you this week? Nothing much. Um, got whatever my uh, situation taken care of, and then um, I actually got on video games for like the first time in like a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, I play Call of Duty. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a serious addiction for a lot of people. Yeah, dude, it's fucking crazy. And what I like to do, I, I guess there's like an honorary system that people play. Like, you're not supposed to use shit that they made for the game uh-huh. because it makes you a pussy or... Yeah, it's like cheating or <laughs> yeah. like using cheat codes like up, up, down, down, left, right. Yeah. That dates me right there. If you use that co- that cheat code, yeah, it pretty much dates you, right? <laughs> let's yeah. everyone know that you're over 30. Yeah, I remember using that up up down for like mortal Kombat on sega genesis or what about contra remember oh, contra shit. i that's, don't remember that one you don't remember contra that's no, the no ori- i remember the cheat code that's the original i think that was the first one that used that and you got like unlimited lives or whatever yeah dude those games are fun man so people act crazy on that call of duty shit like whenever i tried to play that like i had a couple of buddies that would play that and it just i could never see what was happening around me like there's yeah. so much shit going on like i can't see people running around like people start shooting i'm like how can you even see what you're shooting at yeah but That's, i guess you just sort of adapt to it you you adapt to it you get you get used to it or something like that it took me a while but um yeah i was playing last night and like i have a certain class set up and shit and uh, I kept killing this dude, and this dude was fucking, like, when you kill him now, like, you can hear their voice in their microphone. Uh, he's yeah, like, fuck yeah. it, bitch! God damn it! And uh, he was so pissed off, I decided to record him after <laughs> <laughs> after the match ended. Yeah. And this was what came out. Was it an old guy? I don't know. <laughs> and then I reply. Hey man, that's part of the game, so I'm gonna use it. That sounds like a grown man having a very serious breakdown <laughs> yeah. over a video game. Like, some of those people panic. It yeah. sounds, it's hilarious. Yeah. There's some of that stuff on YouTube sometimes. I love that shit, dude. That's that's mainly the reason why I play. I just play to piss people off that reminds on there. me. There's a guy uh, that plays one of those, like, Second Life games. Uh-huh. There's a bunch of videos that he made where he, like, goes into, like, creepy, weird rooms and, like, fucks with people <laughs> and records it. It's pretty fucking funny. I don't know what people are into all that shit for. But That's hilarious. It's pretty fucking funny. Have, um, have you seen any of the Banksy stuff going on this week in New York? The stencil shit? Yeah. 
Well, I, I've heard your post about it, but yeah, I'm not I posted really sure about well, there's an artist from England, from London, who's like world famous, like probably like the most famous. Hash, uh, I almost said hashtag. Uh, air quote street artist. Yeah, and <clears throat> he just did a stencil in uh, East New York, mm-hmm. and a bunch of like crackheads were putting cardboard over it and charging. Uh, white people from manhattan 20 bucks to look at it which i think is kind of funny right like i get the joke it's kind of funny but there was all these like hipster white people like from manhattan Mm -hmm. that were saying how great these dudes were like really like championing them like making like raising them up as to be like these great brilliant entrepreneurs when the reality was it was that they were using their they were using the threat of violence to to oh, charge people money that, to see dude. this thing. So what they they had a, a stencil of a little beaver mm-hmm. and there was a cut sign. And so it looked like the beaver gnawed the sign down and the sign fell. Mm-hmm. So they were they were putting a piece of cardboard over it. Like this dude, they were out there like drinking, talking shit, like yelling at people, like threatening them and oh, shit. That's bad news. And so all these people were like, Oh, they're so great. And I was like, You guys are fucking idiots. Why would you say that somebody who's you like they're like oh he's an entrepreneur he's being smart and all these people shouldn't even be there those are his streets like i was like what the fuck is all this what and so i you know i made the the correlation which was funny because a a video came out um of these two young black kids who got fucking harassed by the police in philly yeah yeah and i told one of these hipsters who thought that these guys were so great like basically using power over people to manipulate them and take their money I found it the same exact thing as cops hassling these young black kids, like hitting them up for their IDs, just fucking with them because they're walking down the street or because they talk to somebody. Yeah, yeah. Like abusing their power for their own benefit, you know, yeah, yeah. because cops and police forces benefit from people being in jail. You know, the whole, uh, the whole police like, tickets, is, yeah, yeah, system, you know, the, the judicial system, it all benefits from young black people getting put in prison. You know, mm-hmm. like it's a, it's an industry. So, like, I saw these two things as the same exact thing. Like, somebody abusing their power, taking advantage of somebody for their own benefit. And yeah. now, but if you if you took these hipsters from New York who think that these guys in Brooklyn are fucking hilarious because they're charging rich white people from Manhattan 20 bucks. The, I, for me, the two things are exactly the same. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's a manipulation of people using force. Or the the threat of force. Yeah. You know, because I was like, what would stop somebody from just going over and taking that cardboard off and taking a photo? And it's because were, people were afraid to get their ass beat. That's ridiculous. Isn't there people like they're saying like you can't do that? Like that. That's almost like panhandling pretty much. Cause it's well, because nobody was even everyone was afraid profiting from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I'm sure there, there would be some type of law that you could say. But I mean, the cops don't really give a fuck. You know, nobody really gives a fuck. And that's what, what their point was. They're like, nobody comes here. Like these people don't come here. And it's like, obviously, they don't go there because of the threat of violence. Yeah. Like it's obvious. But none of the people who I confronted about it, who posted how great these people were, uh, would admit that the threat of violence was a real thing. They're like, no, it's not. Nobody was threatened. Everyone could just leave if they wanted to. But meanwhile, these dudes are out on the street in the middle of the day drinking whiskey from plastic cups. Yeah. One dude had one tooth. And I was like, if dude's so smart, how come he doesn't have, how come he has one tooth? Yeah. If the guy's such a brilliant entrepreneur. Fucking heroin If he's so brilliant, one of the guys who I was arguing with is a a major um, marketer and advertiser in New York. Like, Mm -hmm. does a bunch of, like, major advertising campaigns. I was like, why don't you fucking hire him? Why don't you bring that fucking one tooth motherfucker up into your uh, high rise office and and give him a job and if have you're him so concerned? Everybody else, yeah, fucking assholes. That'd be people, stupid. people are so like, as long as it fits whatever their narrative is, then yeah. they're willing to like attach themselves to a story. But the minute that somebody else like puts in a different opinion, yeah, all of a sudden, you know, like, but even if he's a marketing analysis or whatever, dude, he would be against that. Well, he thought it was great. But, oh, but meanwhile, he yeah. also works with Banksy too, the guy who thought it was so great. Oh. Which what ends up but being really shouldn't he be like, hey, you're making money off the dude that made that, so you know that you're fucked up. 
Yeah, well, they didn't care. <laughs> That's funny. So there's a video. There's a video online of of these guys. Like, there's one dude's like yelling at this woman, this old woman with white hair. She's like, "Get the fuck out of here!" Then, if you don't want to get the fuck out of here, like really being aggressive. Oh, that's fucked up. And I, they were like, "Well, yeah, he's being aggressive, but he's not being violent." I was like, "What the fuck is aggressive? Aggressive is just the step right that's before a form, violence. That's a form of violence. Yeah, that's really nitpick at it. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, what was really funny the very next day because Banksy's doing this thing. He's doing thirty days in New York. It's like all outside work mm-hmm. where there is no gallery show or whatever. The day after this, which coincidentally is pretty funny, in Central Park, an old guy was selling original Banksy stencils on canvas, oh, shit. which are worth." hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. like in like christie's auction or whatever yeah. he was selling them for 60 bucks oh people walked by all day they only sold 420 dollars worth of original banksy stencils so one person came up and just bought some stuff for the house that mm-hmm. he got a new house and just wanted a couple new canvases yeah. didn't really and they're no. all images that are like famous images yeah everybody walked by and didn't buy anything Oh, so like people all day walked by. They could have bought a hundred thousand dollar painting for sixty bucks and just walked by. One lady came and haggled him, haggled the guy down. Like got two for two for sixty. Oh, dude, that's so great. And she got him for her kids or whatever, (laughs) you know. So the the whole thing is pretty funny. He's doing a bunch of shit each day, like a different type of like gag or like stencil thing. So it's pretty uh, funny. Yeah, (laughs) but these these dumb fucks think that it's cool like they're making it seem like it's cool to fuck with white people that are afraid of black people like they make it seem like that's like a a cool thing to to promote and continue but that still brings the whole like you know uh the dangerous feel aspect like oh i should be scared of them yeah it just enforces like the stereotype yes exactly when really we should be nobody owns the fucking city streets we all own the streets, really, to some extent, and we should be able to go and explore our neighborhoods and, and our cities yeah. without the fear of violence. That's true. But that's utopia, perfect world. Mm-hmm. Which uh, maybe Adam Hunter Caldwell will be able to tell us about some utopia worlds. He's um, he's our guest now. I guess we should probably give him a call. We've been chatting here for a minute. <laughs> all right, you ready? Yep. Let's give Adam a call. Adam Hunter Caldwell. Yes. What's up, my friend? How are you? I'm good. How are you, Mike? Good, good. I'm, I'm glad we finally got to get you on. Uh, we had to reschedule last week. I, I ended up with a nasty little um, sinus infection, which uh, producer Lex is right over here to my right. How's it going? Let's see if I can turn the screen. Hey. Uh, never, never trust anybody with a sinus cold and a big mustache, because <laughs> they for sure have snot all up in their mustache. Oh, yeah. It happened. Yeah. Like it, it's become a thing where every time I blow my nose now, it, it's like a facial wash situation because I gotta, I gotta wash, like take a bristles through my wow. mustache to, to clean the snot from my face. So, wow. it's, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank so you for sharing all that. I had to let that out there. It's, uh, <laughs> it's been really bugging me lately, so <laughs> I had to get that one out there. So, um, yeah. So thanks again for for coming on and shooting the shit with me. It's uh. I've I've seen your work for a while. I think I I became familiar with it through the shooting gallery or White Walls conglomeration yeah. in uh, in yeah. ThinkSpace. Yeah. Um, where uh, did, you're you're in the Bay Area now? Did you grow up up there? No, uh, no. I moved out here uh, a little bit after high school, and uh, I grew up in Boston mostly, back east. And did, did you uh, did you study art and, and go to college out there as well? Uh, no, I mean I t- I went to CCA in Oakland, uh-huh. and uh, that's where I studied. And I went to Laney Laney College too for a couple years and did like every figure drawing class I could get my hands on before I went to actual art school. Did um did you have plans like early on? to be an artist? Was it something I I you have you come from a sort of creative family, right? Uh, you've got some artistry in the in the genealogy. Uh, well, yeah, one one sort of particular one. My grandfather was a pretty big writer back in the day, uh, and had a lot of best selling novels. Oh, cool. Do uh, yeah, so. Do you ever utilize any? Do Do you ever like try to 
adapt writing to your work at all? Oh yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I studied illustration at school, so a lot of the um a lot of the sort of basis for my work is based in text, using some different some kinds of texts as a sort of way to generate the ideas for the work. So, and I sort of got that from illustration. Do you do you do things like uh write out narratives like when when putting together pieces? <clears throat> uh I haven't done that, but but uh Actually, I'm just about to start start doing that for my next show at um, the shooting gallery in March. I'm doing a, I'm actually producing a, a play. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, I'm writing a play, producing it, and then photo shooting it as a sort of way to generate the narrative uh-huh. and also make an excuse for like a giant crazy photo shoot. So <laughs> yeah, do you find? So, this is something that's sort of been coming up on the podcast a lot lately is uh, the sort of um, the lack of ability with some painting to tell a complete narrative, you know, like sometimes it's only like a real snippet or like a moment in time or like a, a, a certain emotion that can come yeah. out, but it yeah. doesn't always tell like a complete story, like something like film or, or right. a play. Is, is this right. something that is playing into what's, this this sort of new idea for you or is it more um just trying something new uh no uh no it's definitely it you know like i used to do paintings where i basically just did the painting and had like no sort of no way of explaining what it was about and in fact was kind of like like it doesn't mean anything it's a painting it's images uh-huh. you know there's no there's no narrative so like when i went to school i stayed with a lot of abstract painters were sort of anti-narrative in painting, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. So they kind of hated that idea and considered it to be sort of too much like illustration. So for a while, I was like, ah, oh, my paintings don't mean anything. And then finally, I was like, all right, they sort of mean something. And now I'm like, all right, I'm just going to tell a full story, you know? Because well, I, com- I love comic books, and that's that's where a lot of that comes from It's for it- me. I think something that sort of gets missed on a lot of people is the titles of works a lot of times. I don't even know if people always yeah. necessarily pay attention. And a lot of times that's where you get the narrative. Like Absolutely. Yeah. That, a lot of times that's the first step to kind of figuring out what a painting actually is about. And sometimes yeah. I think like, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I don't, na- I, I typically, in fact, if I think about it, I usually don't name the pieces until they're all the way done. And that's yeah. sort of the moment where you kind of figure out what's, what it's about or what's happening. Do you, sure. do you find that? Uh, that's yeah. Well, what I do is I like, I have, I have a sort of overarching idea for a series usually. Mm-hmm. So I come up with some kind of, you know, historical idea or some sort of underlying narrative that I want to explore. And then when I, I'm sort of, when I look for images, like when I'm shooting images or, you know, stealing them off the internet or whatever, <laughs> that's when I'm that's that's when I'm like that's when I'm f- thinking about the narrative is d- during that process. Yeah. So I'm like trying to get a bunch of images that evoke or sort of explore the idea that I'm thinking about. And then when I put them together, then it's mostly just kind of formal ideas. It's just like how stuff fits on the canvas right. and like how the eye moves around and what the depth and space is like and stuff. But the images themselves were kind of all selected to to somehow fit in with this grand scheme idea, you know. Yeah. And then and then when I'm actually painting them, I'm not really thinking about each painting's individual narrative, you know. But as a group, as a series, they sort of point towards this underlying kind of theme, you know. Yeah. And then and just just like you said, when I'm done, it's at the very end that I that I it's almost like right before I send them away, I'm like, oh shit, I got to title all these things. <laughs> You know, and then, yeah. and then I, then I sit down. I'm like, I gotta. It's usually when I gotta send the images off to the to the to the gallery. You know, right before I send send the JPEGs off, like yeah. they're, they're like, where's the images? I'm like, damn. All right, I get them shot right before I send them. I flip out the titles for everything. That's I do the same thing. It's when I'm yeah. when I'm saving the JPEG or the the Photoshop file to my hard drive. Yeah. Like, That's it. Yeah. Okay, I got to figure out yeah. a title for this. But it, there's a it's a really natural process. It's not like a a thing where it's like, oh, I, here's the thing I have to do. Like it be, it has become like that's the time to think about the title yeah. and and what 
what you want to sort of share with the audience from that level. So and sometimes yeah. it's weird. It's like you can you can almost say so much. Sometimes I feel personally that I could say much more with a title than I do with the actual work. Sure. Yeah. Which is really strange. Yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about how for maybe for the people who don't know um, the the sort of style that you work in. I I, I have it. For me, it feels like there's a um, a lot of different stories coming together at once with your pieces. Yeah. There, which uh-huh. for me, as somebody who's pretty ADD and kind of like semi autistic, it feels good like <laughs> to have uh, what like it's almost like multiple images put together to create one image that sure. that all yeah. somehow kind of go together. And I, it seems like in the painting process. Like you said, like the way you sort of start to build imagery and ideas and stuff, it's almost like in the making process, like that the painting will will sort of dictate how the pieces go together. Do you oh, find yeah. that like uh like like instead of like coming up with an idea, like you know exactly what it's going to look like, the painting sort of right. dictates what it's going to look like. Do you have that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, for a long time, I worked I worked strictly that way, where I literally i just painted a completely abstract background just totally threw paint on and just sort of and then just sat in front of the painting and and sort of looked at it (laughs) picked up images and just looked at pictures over and over again until one of them just demanded to be stuck on there and then each kind of subsequent layer would be dictated by what was underneath so i just keep kind of layering and layering and then changing the whole thing and i did that for a long time and now i'm sort of doing the same thing but i'm doing more of it in photoshop so i i do a lot of that same idea but i just do it digitally first yeah which and is great right like to be able to because i it think saves it saves time you know you seem to have a sort of old painterly style i guess so mm-hmm. it's kind of I, I imagine it's it's nice to be able to i i know for me like just being able to change the size of things and sort of pre-prep ideas yeah makes yeah. the process i i don't want to say easier but makes it more efficient maybe that's true and you know it's like i've been for a long time i didn't care about that but now it's like i actually have deadlines you know and shows <laughs> coming up pretty regularly so i have to actually think about that you know well yeah, are, are I, you an oil painter <clears throat> yeah yeah i paint in oil uh on canvas i trained i trained with some pretty you know where i went to school they didn't really teach that process much of like traditional painting yeah. you know te- technique wise right so i kind of had to you know you know steal that stuff wherever i could from different teachers and you know people i s- trained with and studied with i'd get little bits and pieces so my style is kind of is kind of like a hodgepodge of illustration techniques and what i could steal from you know now, just, you know, now, if I get stuck now, I just want turn on YouTube and watch some t- tutorial, you know. Yeah, I was just watching exactly. some I was watching some Bob Ross videos yesterday. Oh, he's 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 my he's my guru. You know, and the guy who's Everybody. his teacher. Do you, do you know the guy who's who was his teacher? Oh, oh, no. Yes. Oh, my God. I had I never I had never seen the guy before. And I think I was reading about I watched one of the videos and I think in one of the YouTube comments. There was like, well, what about this dude? Or maybe it was on Facebook or something. Somebody said something about the guy. And there's another wow. guy who is ah. – he, he sounds like he may have a German accent. He has some sort of accent, and uh-huh. maybe Spanish possibly. Yeah. And he uh, he's exactly – he's like like having the same type of conversations that Bob Ross has <laughs> with the canvas. Wow. It's really That's good. So I'll try to. I'll find it and I'll send it to you. He, oh, that'd be a, awesome! Nice. I I feel like that was one of my biggest inspirations growing up was Bob Ross. Oh my God, he's so he, it's so effortless for him. I I envy I envy anybody who can paint like that I so know, much. I know, you know? right? <laughs> I get mad when I'm, I because whenever I'm struggling with something, I was like, how yeah. is there all these fucking artists that just are just nonchalant, like super easy, yeah. like and it, it, I know that it's never easy for anybody. No, no, no. But some people just make it look goddamn easy as fuck. I, I know, I know. I suspect, I suspect that all artists are struggling under the surface. Somewhat, yeah, we're all you know? pulling our hair out at we, some point. We just <laughs> some hide hide it better, you know. Yeah. So what is what is your process for for getting <clears throat> imagery together? I know for from what I look at from your work, I see a lot of. Um, 
and this is another thing that's been coming up on the podcast a lot is uh, a level of masculinity, like a fifties mm-hmm. style, like like strong man type of imagery showing up. And then there's um, there's a lot of nudity in your work that doesn't it doesn't feel sexual. It, uh, and I don't know if that's just my interpretation because I know there yeah, is yeah. some work. There is some of the pieces where some of the the ladies do look to be like in a sexual pose of some sort but there's a sure. lot of nudity that does that feels like it takes away that um stigma of sexuality you know from right. sure, uh, sure. is being painted by a man do right. does any of that stuff come up when you're in the process of making it or is that another one of those things that happens along the way uh no it's totally i mean that's sort of uh part of the things I want to explore in the painting, you know, is, is, uh, issue. I mean, that's a big thing at art school where I went to school was like the male gaze, you know, like, like looking at objectified nudity, especially female nudity. And, uh, you know, that kind of how that in historical, uh, you know, in the history of painting, that was always the male privilege was just look at the nude female, you know? And, uh, so I think about that a, a bit. And, uh, plus I'm bisexual, so that kind of like comes into it too, you uh-huh. know, I don't really paint like homoerotic stuff cause I don't want to get like branded so, as so like does a homoerotic that, painter. <laughs> does that sort of play into the masculinity that shows up in your work? It, it, so I've been talking about this a lot, especially when I have, um, female artists on about how uh-huh. the disconnect between, uh, the sexual conversation between men and women. You know, yeah. where like a woman, a woman does something that a man perceives as, let's say, sexually provocative, but the woman right. is actually just trying to feel good about herself or it doesn't actually have anything to do with another man. So right, I'm right, curious right. from that perspective, does some of these like sort of masculine ideas work as a sort of sexual turn on as well? You know, like for me, for instance, I, I paint a ton of beards and like the, the uh, gay bear community is really right. super supportive. They fucking love it, which is, is great. And so, and I wonder is, if that support comes from a level of uh, sexuality, like in terms of uh, like why you like something, you oh, know? Yeah. I'm, yeah. It's got, I mean, it's gotta be, that's always stirring under the surface of, of all creative impulses. I think, you know what I mean? I mean, there's some, I mean, you know, if you read Freud or any of those guys, that's always, in the mix you yeah, know right so and i'm conscious of that i feel that you know <laughs> i feel that coming up and uh you know i'm but i'm pretty conscious about why i'm using like sort of stereotypical female poses uh-huh. like a, a lot of that came from my grandfather was a uh, this you know he's a pretty famous writer back in the day and he wrote like a bunch of best-selling novels that were like the best-selling novels in the united states sure uh T- tobacco road God's Little Acre, uh, they're, they're all about Southern sort, sort of Southern poor people. And they're really kind of political, social commentary, you know, I mean, there's a strong narrative too, but there's this really strong sexual element in his work too. Like he had like, uh, race, race, interracial sex, you know, like, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. And, uh, his work was actually considered uh, jack-off material for oh, a shit. lot of, yeah, a lot of young men. I've met some old guys who were like, "Dude, I used to jack off to your grandfather's." How story. amazing is that? I know, I know. I was like, "Wow!" He's like, "I had all the pages underlined. I hid it under my under my wow. book, under my bed." Yeah, and uh, so his stories were like, you know, these really good sort of social commentary, really deep literature. But because of the sexual content, when they got packaged as a as pulp, they were like pulp, you know, pulp novels too. So they're in paperbacks. The covers would always have one naked hillbilly chick or semi-naked hillbilly chick, <laughs> uh-huh. a preacher, a preacher leering at her with a jug of whiskey in his hand, you know, and uh-huh. like uh, like a rundown cotton, you know, cotton farm in the background. And so there's always some half-naked hillbilly girl on the cover of his uh paperbacks you know so, so do you feel like that played uh, an influence on you like in terms of I how was, you juxtapose things absolutely because i thought like i was i didn't used to paint female nudes in my paintings at all and then i consciously was like gonna do a show where i did like social 
sort of social commentary paintings and then plopped like a like this sexy hillbilly female nude like right in the middle of the painting yeah sort of just how my grandfather's you know had all this social commentary in the book and on the cover was wham this way to sell it you know what i mean so i was really conscious about like trying to do these history paintings that were kind of deep and dark and then like saying hey here's the female nude that's going to sell this painting yeah and, and it, it sort of did. It sort of did. You know? Yeah, I'm sure. It, it and, helped. You know, it helped. I lot. like that idea too. Like where you're sort of taking two different aspects of society and kind of forcing them together. Yeah. Which you yeah. know, I, I would assume that it was pretty controversial to to write that sort of stuff in, in your grandfather's age in the, in the yeah. time period. He got banned. He was banned all over the place. His books were banned and confiscated. What do you, like, What do you think? Like, Gave him, do you feel like there was something that gave him the strength? I know we're not having a podcast about your grandfather, but no, you know, no, no, it, it, <laughs> do you think, <clears throat> so I've been talking about this a lot. Like a lot of people will not stand up to authority. A lot of times people will, if people are told what to do, they'll stay in line and do what they're told to do. Right. Something like that in what I would assume forties, fifties. Yeah, it's forties. Yeah. yeah. That something like that is really frowned. I mean, we look at how how what we use for masturbation now and it, it's so far removed from a, a novel yeah. right yeah like yeah, so yeah. what do you do you think that there was something that allowed him to sort of say like fuck the norm in that in that time period would be so difficult it seems like yeah yeah i mean he was considered pornography basically by some which by lot, some if people you, if you read kinsey uh a lot of people had no fucking clue about sexuality at all. A lot of people didn't even know right. how babies were made. Like the, the actual right. process. Like they didn't right. know. Like the college yeah. kids. Right. If you read any of Kinsey's work, it's, so it's ridiculous. It's wow. flabbergasting. Right. And so for somebody in that time period around the same yeah. time to be particularly interracial sex in the South. Yeah. Seems super controversial, which I yeah. find fascinating. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know. I mean, maybe maybe it was just to be controversial. Maybe it was because he realized realized that would put him on the map. You know what I mean? It seems like I don't. I like that idea, but but yeah, it seems like you have to be you'd have to be involved in in that type of lifestyle to to be able to write about it. Right. Well, I mean, he grew up in the South. He was the son of a, a Baptist preacher. So he'd lived that life, you know, and he'd been poor. He was poor, too. So I think he was just writing it. He was like a social realist. He was writing what he had actually seen. You know what I mean? He was writing it from the real, you know, this is what actually is going on. And I'm going to write it unflinchingly. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I think that there's a lot. We we just had um, some uh, artists from North Carolina and Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking about the South and sort of like turn of the century Civil War era South, like. And the way things work there, and Lex just got back from from Atlanta, and I've been thinking a lot. I mean, you're in Oakland, so you're in a, a pretty culturally diverse area. Um, oh yeah. But you know, like for me in San Diego, like it's pretty segregated still. It's obviously not like segregated by law, but right. uh, white people hang out with white people, Asians hang out yeah. with Asians, and it's very separated. But when you yeah. look in the South, there's there's a lot of integration in comparison, even though that's where we consider like the home of racism, like in stereotypically, I don't think it's true, but you know, right. the very stereotypical hillbilly, like KKK lynchman, you know, like that's what we think about yeah. when we think of the South. But then we look at like what happened, you know, like how often it, and it's, it it's rapey, I guess, but like how often like slave owners had sex with the, with the female slaves you know, and right. you got to realize that there is something more to that besides like the power thing, like that there sure. is there was some sort of um, like real human sexual relation that sure. was considered to be so fucking taboo that nobody talked about it. Right. But, but yeah. we see like uh, when we look at our heritage, like how or even look at like the way DNA transfers itself from place to place, like these things are happening. Yeah, we pretend like it, it, it wasn't, you know? Right, right. So I, right. I, I find that I like I feel like we look at certain things with a very narrow perspective yeah. sometimes, and it, it's good to hear those 
those story. I'd like to read some actually now that what uh what's his name? Uh Erskine Erskine Caldwell. In, in are his books still available to find oh. out there? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're still in print. Yeah. The yeah. uh it's funny, the uh I was reading uh one of his novels the other like uh, uh, last year and I all of a sudden realized that the Beverly Hillbillies is directly based on his Wow. The characters in there are named after characters that are in in Tobacco Road, this one novel he wrote. And There's, that's a great song too, Tobacco Road. It, <laughs> yeah, that's ba- that's the same. That's based on his novel. Really, the song is based. Wow. Yeah, the, yeah, the song is based on his on his novel. Yeah, that's amazing. That, yeah, that was his uh, that was his biggest book. So, um, some of the stuff that shows up in your work, I find that there is like a level of destruction. I, and then maybe it, it has something to do with the the abstraction that you started with. Um, uh-huh. Like there was a piece that you just did, I think that was in your think the Think Space show you just had, where it was almost it it looks very uh, like almost Flemish, like a Flemish painting, where uh-huh. the girl has half of her face missing. Oh, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a level of like creation and destruction. That seems to show mm-hmm. up, and I think even there's a lot of like war scenes in your in your work. Sure. Uh, yeah. Is that are those dichotomies important to you? Yeah, totally. <clears throat> I mean, I've been drawing like war stuff since I was a little kid. You know, right? I, you know, then it was like a fascination with just like uniforms and explosions and like you know, like I know thinking of war as some fireworks kind yeah, of show yeah, or yeah. something. But like you know, now I see those is such powerful kind of pivotal moments in history and society, you know, that I kind of like to, especially marching soldiers, like the idea of like, like the movement of like a bunch of soldiers marching into a painting and kind of disrupting the whole painting. Cause yeah. they, usually they're in black and white, they're in black and white, you know, a historical found photograph and they're most of the paintings in color and they just kind of come flying in from the side into this painting yeah and just kind of mess everything up you know and cause some chaos and disorder or something which i think is an interesting like sort of conversation between that and then the sexuality that comes in mhm or you know the female nude like sure. how how those two things uh sort of correlate with one another and this is this is what i was saying earlier about like having there be what's what feels like multiple stories that have mm-hmm. some sort of connection and it's kind of funny like it's almost like there's historical context and then there's parts that jump into like modern day reality right yeah it, you know and i have like i have a lot of corporate corporate logos and texts you know kind of pop up too uh-huh. you know i you like know, the mirror I'm, text when you do the the text backwards because it almost oh yeah. it almost turns into uh more about the shape than what yeah. the actual words are. Like sure. there's, I think yeah. there's the one piece that has the yellow text that's, that's mirrored or maybe reversed. Yeah. And I still don't know what it says, but I like that it's there, you know, <laughs> which is strange. Yeah. No, it's all graphic. That's all like graphic design stuff. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. letter forms are just always blow me away how beautiful they are. You yeah. know? I, yeah. So I just love how that looks, you know, on top of realist painting, you know, there's something about, it, it looks sort of printed almost like it's a printed image, you know, uh-huh. which somehow to me always had like a real kind of validity that a painting doesn't quite have. It's like, Oh, it's, you know, it's like in a magazine or something, you know, or a movie poster or something. Yeah. Has yeah. That same feel, you know? So what do you think? Like, so when you see that there's like a <clears throat> sort of sanctity to that, what, is there a reason why you like to destroy those things? Cause like, so like, the piece that we're talking about, that that text has a piece that's, uh, I believe at the end of it, it's sort of like blown out, like it, it, right. something has gone over it, or sure, is it? Do you like attacking those things, or it, yeah. does that just become well, aesthetic? It's it's both, and part of it's impulsive. You know, yeah, I yeah. get frustrated with a painting sometimes. You know, because a lot of times I'm in there rendering from a photograph, so I'm like in this tedious kind of automatic process of just finishing in the area and I'll just paint like a whole head and then I'll just can't take it anymore. <laughs> and like, you know, and at like three or four in the morning, I'll literally just grab a big giant brush of paint and just swatch over some big giant area and then leave, just leave the studio and come back the next morning and be like, try to figure out if that made sense or not. You Do know? you ever go home and think like, oh, I need to go back? Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> 
I'll also I'll paint like a whole head super realistically and then just throw a big cup full of thinner of paint thinner right on the head and then leave and and just hope something cool happens with it. But is that is would you say that's more like 70% just being pissed? It's uh, a <laughs> Is yeah, there a percentage? I don't know what the percentage is, but it's an admixture of being like of being frustrated but also wanting to like to sort of show the process and disrupt the, you know, I don't like paintings that are too super finished everywhere. Uh-huh. You know, I think they're great, but it just doesn't, it doesn't thrill me. You know what I mean? It doesn't excite me, yeah. you know, like looking at a painting where the, where you can see just some of it's just paint, you know, just, it could be just a drip or it could be like a smear or something yeah. that always just I'd love that stuff. Do you ever you know? get the fear like so speaking of Bob Ross, I remember how I w- I would watch his shows and he would do something and I'd be like, dude, you just fucked up that painting. How did you why did you just add that long brown stick right there? Why did right. you do that? And then of yeah. course it turns out amazing. And I just right. had somebody on my Facebook, an old high school friend, tell me that um I did a portrait of um David Lynch and I did I've been doing these stripes across faces and he was like you just ruined that whole painting with the stripes. So do you ever get like the fear like, okay, here, I'm about to oh. just totally wipe a, a um, solid it, color over this thing that I spent four hours on? It, it always, yeah, it always scared me. Like, you know, the first, the, what I used to do is, uh, I got this idea from uh, an illustrator who would take his sketchbook, he'd like make a portfolio in a sketchbook, and then he'd throw it in a bathtub and let it like, soak with water wow. and then then he'd peel all the pages off you know and, and peel them apart after it was soaked so i started doing that with my sketchbooks you know and i'd spend like six months on these sketchbooks wow they're all painted with gouache and ink and fully yeah. finished paintings uh and then i i started throwing them in the bathtub and letting them soak Ooh. for like a couple hours and <laughs> That's then scary and then it was really scary and then i'd pull each page and then i'd have to the pages would get soaked i'd have to pull them all apart you know, and like probably 60% of it was just kind of gibberish, but then like 40% would be just amazing. Like totally things I could never plan things yeah. that would never happen consciously or deliberately. You know? Sometimes that's the best way to get new ideas. Like to just yeah. take the risk and just jump off the cliff. You got to, you got to my, uh, I studied with a uh, Baron Baron story. who's like uh-huh. a great, great illustrator at school. And uh, he had this theory that he called the freshness threshold. Like, so if you have like a blank canvas and you make some crazy mark on there, it immediately has what he called the, the high high freshness threshold. Because <laughs> of the, this, like the spontaneity of the mark just ga- gives it this punch. So like, it, like, uh, like a whole, you know, Chinese brush painting all has a super high freshness threshold, you know, yeah. or a lot of gra- graffiti art does. So, but in like, you know, in traditional painting, you make those first marks and then almost anything you do to kind of push around those marks or adjust them, it just, the freshness starts to drop immediately, Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and then to, and to get higher, you literally have to destroy, you have to put another crazy fresh mark over what you've painted to push it up even higher. Which again, it's know? like that same risk. Like I've, I've definitely had, cause I, I worked in what you were talking about before with like abstract backgrounds and then a figurative over the top. There's definitely been times where I've had that freshness mark in the abstraction where it's like, you can tell that there's just a fluidity almost like a lack of stiffness Yeah, that I haven't like, if I I would be like, Oh, I can't put this part of the head over there because it's going to cover up the freshness of that right there. Right. Right. Exactly. And, but it'll, if you leave it the way it is, it'll only ever get that, level you yeah, know what I mean? yeah, it'll, yeah. it'll only get it'll stay there and if you work around it it's it just stays there in fact it goes down a little bit to like really get it up to the next level you have to cover up that mark i think do some know? of those do, do those ideas still play along with with the work that you're making now do you still think oh. about those things oh always yeah i mean i had abstract i had when i went to school most of my teachers were totally abstract painters and i'm in there doing kind of tight fussy realism and they were always just like you know trying to come in and just obliterate half my painting you know what i mean for, for as, me. as somebody who paints the figure do you find a level of comfort in the abstraction i feel like there's a lot of like almost every figurative artist that i know at some point has some dabbles in somewhat in abstraction like at some point uh, the figure 
becomes a burden and sure. an abstraction becomes more rewarding sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's more, it's more fun, you know, to just throw paint on there. You know what I mean? I yeah. think without all the rules and regulations. Sure. I mean, but I remember like the first, the first painting that really got me going as, as a kid was, a uh, it was a portrait of George Washington. Um, that, uh, I think it was Copley, Copley did or something. It's like the most famous portrait of George Washington. Uh-huh. And it was, spo- it was supposed to be George Washington and his wife. But when he got halfway through it, he, he realized that it was like the best portrait of George Washington. So he never delivered it. He just kept it. He just kept the painting unfinished. Yeah. And then he, the rest of his life, he made copies of it and sold them Weird. over and over and over and over again. He just kept copying this one painting. <laughs> and it worked for him, huh? Washington's head. It was brilliant. Huh. But the painting itself was unfinished. And you could see, like, there's not really drips, but you could see sort of the totally resolved head. And then, like, d- around in his chest and stuff, it's totally just splotches of color, uh-huh. you know. And I remember in, like, a history book in, like, second grade, had that picture. And I it freaked me out because it was just, like, somehow that was my aesthetic yeah, like even in, yeah. in second in second grade i was just like that is what i that is the best painting i've ever seen because it's totally resolved and then unfinished you know there's also. something about that like uh the, i just did this series a war paint series where i was, uh i did civil war generals with um mm. like traditional native american war paint over their faces oh nice oh awesome and it came out of this idea of like i was showing um I was showing process stuff like on Instagram and stuff. You know how a lot of people are doing that sort of thing. And there's uh, the audience has a tendency to really attach themselves to those things. Like they enjoy seeing the process and it feels like part of the, it's not so much that they're learning how the piece is made, but a lot of people like paintings that are half done. I'm so I'm finding. So like I made this series based on that idea where it's it looks like part line drawing or like ink drawing, and then yeah. part of it is like painted in like painterly, you know. So sure. like, yeah. there there's something to that 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 yeah. people like to see something kind of unfinished, which which seems counterintuitive to yeah. like, you know, museums with the nice frame and the you know, completely right. rendered full nice painting. Right. But right. there is something to the eye of us humans that finds at least yeah. a, a grouping of people that finds some sort of pleasure in that. Yeah. And obviously yeah, you did it in second grade. Yeah. I, I just, I did. Yeah. It totally. It struck me immediately. You know, I didn't understand what it was back then. I just thought it was cool, but now I really see. I wonder what, seeing, I wonder what it is. The process. I don't know. I mean, I know that like, it almost seems more real. Like you're yeah, not trying, you're not playing the full trick on people. Right. Cause that's what right. it is a lot. Like painting like is like, like tricking people into thinking a, a 2d image is three-dimensional absolutely and, and you know and but it painting can't compete with cgi can't compete with computer graphics right you know what i mean so yeah. it's almost it's almost like more honest to let a painting be what it is you know what i mean yeah and expose the fact that there's some paint in there that's how that seems like the magical alchemical like it reveals the alchemy more when you see that you know uh-huh. like like a charcoal drawing where it's like you can just see like it's just like blop a big bunch of like a big swatch of compressed charcoal in there. And then there's like a face coming out of it. It's more magical, I think. Yeah, you know? I agree. I agree. It's it's a strange. Th- it's so weird how our brains work. Yeah. yeah. Especially with the, in this crazy art world. Yeah. Like, there's no real. You can't really guess what's going to. You can't even guess what a painting is going to look like. I mean, you can have an idea, but you. Mm-hmm. You don't even really know until the like we were talking about earlier, like the painting building itself. Like, you don't really. Yeah. Do you ever really know what the piece is going to look like at the end? No, I you can't. I, right? You know, yeah. I'm trying not to. I'm really trying to get away from using any kind of formula, you know, <laughs> of, at all. Even for like, you know, mixing colors or anything, or mixing flesh tones. You know, like Lucian Freud was like, like he's like I paint. He's like I paint with no formula whatsoever no no rules or no formula you know and to me that's like that's you know just to keep it interesting as a painter you know what i mean it's like i want to be surprised by my painting you know what i mean yeah at all levels like in the process i mix the color up i don't know what the hell i'm doing trying to mix that flesh tone (laughs) up you know but 
when it happens, then it's like, whoa, it's like, you know, you're really engaged. Sort of like playing music or something is more like that. You Which, know? Again, that's another one of those risk things, too. Like, like I've been talking about this a lot, like how as full-time working artists, you, you to some level, you know that you need to sell the works, even if it's not even like a financial need, but we're all making mm-hmm. these things so that they go somewhere else. I don't think many of us want to just hold on to these things. So like... Yeah. To be able to sit down, and this is something I uh, we're having um, Brian. Uh, fuck, I never say his last name right. Barnell Barneclo. Barneclaw. That's how you Barneclo. Barneclaw. Yeah. Shit. So Barneclaw. We yeah. were talking about this, like how this idea <laughs> of making the work that you want to make without thinking about where it's going to go or what the response is going to be like having it be truly personal like yeah. t- to some extent for working artists that's a there's a risk there like if, if for, and you know we see it all the time like certain artists get into a rhythm where you know they start creating work that has a sort of a pattern and you can kind of see yeah. it like throughout oh, yeah. the the lineage that there's sure. there's a risk in just doing whatever the fuck you want Oh my God. Yeah. How can you market that? You know, and the galleries freak out. Like if you go to, you just can't take a totally sideways move. You know, you have to, (laughs) you can't do that. I mean, you can, you totally can do that. But I mean, I was, I knew that was going to be a consideration. So like when I was sort of thinking about how I wanted to paint, I was really conscious of like making it a little bit figurative, a little bit abstract, a little bit design, you know, sort of graphic designy too. So if I really felt like it, I could sort of push into any of those sort of corners of the triangle, you mm-hmm. know, like I could go a little more abstract, or I could go more super realist, or I could go more designy without it freaking people out too much, yeah, you know? Yeah. So that's, you know, that's sort of one reason my work has all that dense kind of mismatched juxtaposed stuff shoved together. Is just that so when I really want to, I'll be able to move move yeah. around more, you know. So, so that was so. With your next show, is the plan for the play? Are you gonna do? Are you gonna produce the play as well? <laughs> uh, no, it's gonna be a photo. It's gonna be a photo shoot. You okay. Know? I mean, I was in. Uh, I had a show in London last year, and the uh, um, Connor. There was a Connor Harrington show right next door at, at the Lazaridis. Uh-huh. And uh, he had done like these elaborate photo shoots, whereas before he'd been kind of just collaging images together. Right, right. And I, th- I think Chloe Early told him like, you should do, do your own photo shoots. So he did this crazy photo shoot with like a banquet and all these people in, you know, costumes and dead pheasants and deer yeah, hanging. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, it was so awesome. And, uh, you know, I was like, I was like, it's it's like I really would like to try something like that. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, so, I was just talking about that with Gabe Leonard, who is actually this week's episode, and um, he his work is really considered like cinematic in the way that he mm-hmm. sort of lays out his his juxtaposition, and yeah. I, that's what I was talking about. I was like, I, w- I wonder if because I was thinking of how art doesn't necessarily give a full story. Like, what if you? did a photo shoot of like an entire movie like like thinking of the yeah. idea of like a still uh you know the way they uh, a director lays out a storyboard or something right you know like right. what would that look like as an entire show and it sounds like that's sort of uh like sort of where you're you're going towards so that that's exactly yeah i mean i remember in school wanting to do a painted graphic novel uh-huh like, sure but as a as a show to actually have each panel be a painting in a show, uh-huh. you know, and, and tell in a strictly linear way. That's, I'm not going to exactly do that, but I'll have like images from act one, scene two, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. they'll be, you know, and then I'm going to, I'm going to have the, the, the script available for people to look at and fragments of the text next to the paintings, yeah. you know? And, uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to like make a stage set, I'm going to set it, set it up and dress, dress the set and, you know, light it. And I'm going to get my friend, uh, my friend, Sean Roberts, who's a really great photographer, um, is going to shoot, help me shoot it. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. It seems, I, do you, do you have an ambition to, like, let's say it, it, it turns out really well, which I'm sure it will. Is there any ambition to, 
to take it further into the actual play arena? Sure. Yeah, sure. And then, and you know, even like to the point of, you know, like photo shooting it, videotaping and documenting the actual photo shoot itself, you know what I mean? And directing the play, you know, making like, cause the whole, the whole sort of idea is like based on like fiction inside fiction, you know, where you have like a story that has a, there's a book mentioned in the story, but if the book doesn't exist, you yeah, know, yeah. Or, or, you know, or like in Hamlet where they have the mousetrap, they have the little play inside Hamlet. That's sort of about the big play. Right. You know, that, that stuff always, that's like my favorite kind of fiction. You know what I mean? Where it's consciously talking about how fake it all is. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. this is fake. This is fake. And here's another book that's totally fake inside this fake book, you know? Yeah. And, uh, Which is kind of wanna... funny, like thinking about how like the works were just works to start, you know, like right. they were just paintings as paintings, they, and right. exactly. the narrative was built around the actual work, mm-hmm. as about you know like that. It, obviously, it's not fake, but you know that there's some right. there's that sort of kind of mentality that I think flows along the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so creating wanna... these worlds, you know, you're creating these worlds that sort of exist and don't exist. In the mm-hmm. same in the same vein in the same piece, right, right. Yeah. I, and I think there was like a, you know, at, at one stage, like painting was considered like the most real. It was like the most real imagery that existed, right. you know. And those guys were like masters of the how people perceived, you know, how people perceived their their kings, how they perceived history, mm-hmm. how they perceived, you know, yeah. Uh, mythology all that stuff was like they controlled the image you know and uh you know now i don't think painting really (laughs) controls that kind of perception yeah sure i was just thinking we were um i don't know what the wife and i were looking at but we we were talking about um drawer and like how his lions had a sort of cat look like how or even like old old maps how the sea mm-hmm. creatures were like, well, it kind of looks like that thing, but it doesn't. And it's like, well, because yeah. you can't really sit around and draw a line or you're going to get fucking eaten right. <laughs> if it's not in the zoo or whatever. So, like, right. uh, there's that thing where <clears throat> the art at some point was telling people what was what, even if it was a little a little off. Sure. But now every, everybody knows everything now, so it's kind of hard. Yeah, it is. I Except know. for physics. Well, that's, that, that's, the beauty, that's what's so cool about to, to me, that's what's so cool about doing painting. It's like it's not, it's not this, you know, it's not the the flavor of the of the week. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. as, as, as as far as technology goes, you know. Yeah. But it's not dead. You know. No, it's it not, can't die. It 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 yeah. seems imp- like I don't see a a day where it it would fall away. People are too attached to it. But it's yeah. getting weirder and weirder. The people who are collecting it. Like in terms of like, yeah, well, I mean, in terms of like the way the, the price of things, you know, uh, like mm-hmm. art costs a, a substantial amount of money. Like I always say, I can't even afford my own paintings, right? you, you know, like, and it's so cool. like the group of, but I, you know, there's always the viewer, I guess things, and that's what things can be viewed without being purchased. So there's, I, I feel like that's almost a, di- there's a, di- like a, like two separate worlds when it comes to purchasing art. And mm-hmm. just viewing art, which yeah. I'm just thinking off the top of my head now. No, no, no. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a lot of, uh, I'm trying to make a lot of for shows now. I'm trying to make a lot of small, pretty affordable paintings. You uh-huh. know, that are rel- I mean, they're still expensive for most people, but they're sure. relatively affordable, small yeah. stuff as well as larger, more so, expensive things. You know, I talk about this a lot. But I really want to just start adding zeros to my price tags. <laughs> But there, <laughs> there's something that there is some reward in selling works to people who can't afford them. Absolutely. Like, Didn't you know I, that it means something a little bit more. Somehow. I think ban- it, I just saw on Banksy's website that he set up, a, he just set up a booth in Central Park and was selling his shit for $60 That's or a, something. We just talked about that in the <laughs> intro before we called you. Which is a hilarious contradiction, like a, a sort of coincidence being that the day before there was a group of crackheads charging uh, rich white people from Manhattan 20 bucks to look at a stencil in East New York. Did you see that? No. Yes, yes. So there is, there is, he did a, like a beaver stencil 
uh, mm-hmm. next to a sign that it was chopped off and tipped over. Oh, and, I saw that picture, yeah. And so these dudes were, you know, from the neighborhood, saw that a bunch of people were coming in and photographing this. So they used their sort of the threat of violence to block the image and charge people 20 bucks who were driving in from Manhattan to take a photo of it. And I, I found it to be disgusting in that, like, using the threat of violence to manipulate people. I found, yeah. although it's funny, like, I get the joke, of, like, I see that it's, it's also funny, but there was yeah. a lot of people who were sort of condoning that type of behavior that, like, because dude was poor and, like, he was more considered, like, a lot of people were saying, oh, he's an entrepreneur. I'm like, well, really, he's a, a thug who's, who's manipulating people due to the threat of violence, like telling people the crews from the hood are going to come in and start robbing people. And like, there was a very real threat, but then to see the very next day, uh, like an old white guy selling stencils in central park with people just walking by and nobody paying attention. Meanwhile, all these people from Manhattan drove down to this neighborhood that was most likely dangerous for them to be in. And were giving somebody 20 bucks just to take a photo of a stencil on a wall like oh the God. two things is it's a psychological yeah. mind fuck that's really yeah, funny yeah but i think a lot of people miss that joke to some extent yeah. which if if he set that joke up based on how people were reacting to mm-hmm. the day before then uh, god damn right. that motherfucker's brilliant but <laughs> yeah it might have just yeah. been coincidence but really funny be. that one lady haggled him down for two pieces for for 60 bucks basically got two hundred thousand dollars worth of art for 60 bucks wow but then the, it's it's funny to see like okay what does it mean is it the images or is it the story behind the images that is really the value and yeah. you look at it then maybe that's what it is if, if all these people were walking by and like i'm not buying that stencil of a rat like right <laughs> nobody really gave a fuck but all of a sudden right. if you put it in a certain context Exactly. Well, suddenly, yeah. it's it's very valuable and, and I'd, sought I'd after. be I'd be perfectly willing to have to have that happen. You know, something like that. You know, because I think it is. You know, it's like you know, ten percent the image itself, ten percent how much the collectors want you. Uh-huh. You know, ten percent the who's talking about it. you. Yeah, 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 that whole thing. The value of an artwork is so bizarre. You know, I know it's so strange. I know. I don't. I don't get it. <laughs> I sometimes think how nice it would be just to collect a regular paycheck. I've been thinking about yeah. that more. More. <laughs> it sounds, but from somebody who's made a living off of art for ten years, it's like yeah. You not know like there's a level of stress that comes from not knowing like, where the next paycheck sure. is coming from. Yeah. But that's part. I guess that's the that's the sort of artist behavior, like the risks that we were talking about. Like it's it's typically right. creative type people who are like. All right, let's see what fucking happens. You know, right? Right. So, let's yeah, um, let's uh, let's plug your website and your your next show coming up is the the one that we were talking about the play at the shooting gallery. Is that your next show? Uh, no, I'm gonna be at uh, I'm gonna be at Think Space uh, doing uh, I'm gonna be selling a whole bunch of port small portraits around Christmas time. Okay, cool. So, and you so just had a Christmas, show there, right? With uh, Ekendayo and... I had a, yeah, Ekendayo and Joram Rokes. Uh-huh. Uh, it was good. Almost sold out. It's my first show where I almost sold out. Nice sellout. And, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in order to, to, you know, capitalize on that, I'm doing another sort of show of small, small, pretty affordable paintings at Think Space. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and then, and then in uh, March at Shooting Gallery is going to be the... the narrative play kind of thing it's gonna be cool where uh where can people find your stuff online at at uh adamhuntercaldwell.com have you always used your full name i've been taught this is another no. thing that's been coming up on the podcast i want to use no. my full name michael james maxwell instead of mike maxwell i sound <laughs> well, like a fucking no, I- auto mechanic mike maxwell I know, yeah hunter's a, a great middle name I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm i love that but uh powerful it's actually because uh some corporation in the cayman islands stole my stole adam com. <laughs> like when i let it lapse for like a day yeah was, they they nabbed it and they, they wanted, try to sell like, it five, yeah they want five thousand dollars for it <laughs> i just had somebody had do the same for, thing they had it for years so they won't give it back to me so i had I'm somebody 
I had some, there was a, a realtor in Colorado that had MikeMaxwell.com forever and it lapsed and some company uh, bought it up and they emailed me and were like, we will sell it to you for $500. I, I gave them a counter offer of 20 bucks and a painting. They, well. didn't, they didn't take it. Though. <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't take it. They said maybe. They said they'd get back to me, but they never got uh, back to me. No. 20 bucks. So cool, man. I want to uh, I want to thank you again for taking the time to shoot the shit with us. It was uh, it was yeah. good to get to know you and hopefully um I'll be able to see some of your work in person here pretty soon. Maybe I'll come up for the the Think Space show. Cool. Yeah. I'll be down there. All right, nice. Um let's do internet dap. You down? All right. Bam. Bam. Nice. All right, thanks Adam. Appreciate it. Th- thanks Mike. Enjoyed it a lot. All right, cool. Later. Okay. All right, bye.